morning. Uh, thanks for, if you normally come to first service, for still coming, even if you slept in a little bit this morning. And uh, good to have you here with us as we are enjoying, as Johnny said, a little bit, or Tim said, a little bit of springtime kind of coming our direction as we start this, entering this um, Easter season. It's a significant month for us as a church because it was 24 years ago that uh, we began our church actually this month, right around this time. And for those of you that don't know the story uh, behind that, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad has been a pastor for 40 some years. And, you know, when you ask a little kid, you know, do you want to do what your dad wants to do? If you would have asked me that when I was a kid, I would have said, no, absolutely not. Not going there. don't want to do that, you know saw the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges, so that's not for me. And it wasn't until my high school year, when I got into my high school years, where God got my attention, said, I have some other plans for you, and I had to decide if I was open to his plans for me, and, um, and I was at that point in time. And so I went away to a, a Bible college to study, learn about being, uh, how to study the Bible, learn about being in a pastor in a church, and my senior year, as I was getting ready to graduate, I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I had a professor who uh, challenged a group of us. He said, instead of asking us, maybe you should consider going to start a new church, he said, he said why wouldn't you go and start a new church to plant a church? And I never thought about it that way before. And it kind of got the ball rolling in my mind and began to think about that and pray about that. And then as I went into graduate school, the last year of my training, I had to spend a year working at a church somewhere. And the church that I was assigned to work at was a church over in the Morgantown area, not too far from here. And that church had a plan to start churches in the next decade, in the decade of the 90s. And so I realized God was directing my steps and God was pointing me in the way that he wanted me to go. And so uh, Christine and I moved into this area. We, um, we had surveyed a couple different areas, settled in this area. We moved in this area, uh, started meeting people, began a small group in our home, sent out flyers. Uh, made phone calls, invited people, found a location, um, set a starting date, announced to the community, loaded all our supplies in the back of our red escort wagon, and we went there anticipating, wondering who was going to show up that morning. And a few of you who are here were there that morning in the basement of what was then the Holiday Inn, which is now the Comfort Inn. And that's where our church began. And so there was great anticipation for this uh, for this church being launched, something that I had thought about, wondered about, dreamed about, considered for almost a decade of my life, it was now actually becoming a reality. And this morning we're going to talk about a story that happened in the life of Jesus in which there was great anticipation by the people of Israel. They were anticipating what was going to come. And, and there's something about anticipation that kind of stirs something up inside of us. And, and maybe it's your favorite artist, and you're going to go hear them. And so you buy the tickets, and you get some friends to get tickets, and you, you all go there together, and you're sitting there, and you're, you're in your seats, and you're waiting for them to come on stage. There's a sense of anticipation for them to show up. Or maybe it's your favorite team that you're going to go see, and, see them play. And they're in a championship round. They're in a championship series. And the, the competition is intense, and you're... You've got your tickets, you're there in your seats, you're waiting for them to come out. Maybe it's not just that, maybe it's something you're planning, maybe it's a party, it's an event, and you've invited guests, and you've planned the menu, you've planned the activities, you've cleaned everything, you've got everything prepared, and you're just now waiting for them to show up. Or maybe it's uh, a bigger plan, maybe it's a plan to uh, give your life and commit your life to someone else, and 
you've asked them and they've said yes and now you're planning and now all the details have been prepared and, and, and you're standing there waiting at the end of the aisle or waiting to come in and walk down the aisle and the anticipation is really, really through the roof. And so this morning we're going to look at a story in Jesus' life where the anticipation of the people of Israel was just like that. They were literally at the edge of their seats waiting to see what was going to happen next. And I think it's going to surprise you what does happen. If you haven't been here with us over the last several weeks, we've been in a series uh, during the season of Lent leading up to um, Easter, which will just be in two weeks. And the season of Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. And instead of just doing something different and then just Easter happening, we said, what if we looked at some of the events in the life of Jesus, some of the people in the life of Jesus, and thought about the significance of those events to prepare our hearts and to prepare our minds to celebrate what Jesus did. And so we spent some time looking at individuals like John the Baptist and Nicodemus and Peter. And last week we looked at a story in the life of Jesus where he attempted to remove the barriers that were keeping people from moving towards God. And in that culture and in that day, it was people selling animals in the marketplace and marking up the prices so certain individuals couldn't afford them. It was also people exchanging money in ways that were taking advantage of people, which Jesus, which the law strictly forbid. And Jesus said, we've got to move all of these things out. And we saw a rage come out of him that most of us have never even imagined would be true of Jesus. But as those barriers were removed, the purpose of that was so that people could have access directly to God. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and... As you're turning there, I don't know where you are at on your spiritual journey this morning. Um, you're obviously here, and, and maybe you've come with someone, maybe you're uh, checking out things, you're kind of coming back to God, or you're exploring what CCC is all about. And this morning, as we talk about what following Jesus is all about, I, I think that you might be surprised what you hear. If you have been following Jesus for a while, and maybe you're kind of comfortable in your faith, it's something that you, you practice, you live out, you do, um, this morning, what Jesus is going to have to say is going to feel a bit of a, like a bit of a crossroads for you. So if you have your Bibles, if you're there in John 12, the Bibles the guys are handing out is on page 872 or on your wireless devices. Before we get to chapter 12, let's talk about what was happening in chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, Jesus had stirred up the city quite a bit. So how did he stir things up in the city? We had come into town and his friend Lazarus had been very, very sick. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who were friends of Jesus, had contacted Jesus and said, you have to come, you have to come, you have to come. They had known the stories, likely had seen Jesus heal individuals, meet people's needs, um, even have seen him likely raise someone from the dead. And so they knew their brother was in a bad condition. They called Jesus, and Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come. I have to imagine those two sisters were a bit beside themselves when he didn't show up because their brother died. And um, when Jesus came in, when Jesus showed up into town a few days later, they're like, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? And Jesus knew why he didn't come. He knew because God had a bigger plan, but they didn't understand that in the moment. And yet Jesus, when faced with the reality of the, not only the death of his friend, Lazarus, but likely the confusion of these women that he cared deeply for. The scripture says, John records that Jesus wept, describes a deep, soulful grieving 
There could be more to that as we're going to see in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. But after Jesus wept, he called Lazarus out of the, the tomb and Lazarus rose from the dead. You know, it amazed the people. And the Bible says, John records, that the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and bigger that were following Jesus. Not only was this guy healing the sick, feeding the masses, but now he was raising people from the dead. What was going to come next? And the Jewish leaders were a little bit concerned about that. And so, in an attempt to calm the crowds down, they sent protesters in there to create havoc. No, that happened in the news last week. No, really what happened was, um, they said, we've got to do something to stop this guy. Um, See, I knew I was going to wake you up sometime this morning. So. Just give it a minute, it'll pass. There we go. They just couldn't time it right in the story. You'll understand that a little bit later as well. Um, so they had a solution. They said, let's kill him. Let's kill him. We've got to kill Jesus. And so they started making plans to take his life. You say, why was this so important? Why was what was happening with Jesus stirring up so much trouble for the people of for the Jewish people. Well, it says in the end of chapter 11 that the, the Jewish leaders were afraid that the Romans were going to come and they were going to take away their temple, their place of worship, and likely wipe out the nation of Israel. Because the Romans would let you live with your own gods and worship whoever as long as you didn't create trouble. And if trouble was stirred up, they would squelch that trouble and they would do it fiercely and intentionally. And so the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, their job was to keep everyone under control. That was their job. And because of the people, the crowds that were following Jesus, they said, we've got to do something about this. Well, Jesus heard about this, and, and he kind of goes undercover. He kind of goes behind the radar, and, um, and he stays out of sight till it's just time before the Passover. And as he comes into the city, which is, we're kind of jumping ahead in the story, we're going to look at that next week. As he comes into the city, um, look at what it says in there in chapter 12, verse 19. The Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It said literally the whole world is going after Jesus. Everybody is following after Jesus. It's very significant that John would write this because John's gospel was written to communicate the message of Jesus to the world. Remember what John 3.16 says? For God so loved who? The world. And the end of the gospel of John, it says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not just to the Jewish people, not just to religious people, but to the whole world was the message of John's gospel. He wanted to convince people who Jesus was. And so, as this event is taking place, John records a story, and he's the only one of the writers that records this. But he records this story in John chapter 12, beginning of verse 20. It says this, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is a little bit unusual because this was a Jewish holiday. And so the Jews celebrated Passover. That's why they were there in Jerusalem. But if you were a Greek, it wasn't really your holiday. It wasn't really your festival. But some of the Greeks chose to worship God, and some of the Greeks were God-fearing people, and so they came and joined in this festival. And when they came there, they came up to Philip in verse 21, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. They said, we would like to see Jesus. Now you might wonder, why did they contact Philip? 
Well, Philip was also from the northern part of the land of Israel in the, land, in the area of Galilee. And so whether they heard it in his dialect, whether they saw it in his demeanor, heard his language, that he was a little more comfortable with the Greek language, the, the land of Galilee was the most Hellenized area of the land of Israel at that time. They came to him and they said, can you get us a hearing with, these, with this guy? Can you get us a backstage pass? We want to talk to Jesus. G- Philip goes to Andrew and they said, let's go talk to Jesus and see what we can find out. So they came and ran into Jesus. And as they ran into Jesus, they heard something that they weren't really quite expecting. We're, we're probably thrilled to hear. Because they heard this. They heard, the hour has come. They literally heard, it's time. It's time. It's time. You know, if you've ever been a mom who's carrying a child and is getting close to delivery and and you have your bags packed and you're ready to go and you know when it's time. And if your husband said, well, you know, I've got a couple things I need to get done. Let me get these few things done. No, 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 no. It's time. There's no more delays. We have to go now. It's time right now. And that's what Jesus was saying. Now, to us, that doesn't seem very significant, but what was the significance of that to the Jewish people? His disciples who are hearing this. I mean, think about it for a moment. The, the Jewish people had been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah. They had been sharing this story about the Messiah that was going to come for generation after generation after generation after generation. And they knew what to look for when the Messiah would come. They knew that He would heal the sick. They knew that He would feed the masses. They knew that He would give life to the dead. And so as the Jewish people started watching this taking place, they knew what the next thing that was going to happen. And the next thing that was going to happen is this Messiah would stand up as the deliverer and rescue them from who? Rome. Rome. And that's what they were looking forward to. You remember what Jesus was talking about all through the early part of His ministry? He kept talking about what? A kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. And the kingdom needs what? needs a king. And so maybe this Messiah, maybe this Deliverer that they had been waiting for, maybe it was now time. And so when He says, the hour has come for what? The Son of Man to be glorified. For Him to be lifted up, exalted, celebrate, honored. He's starting to get a sense of what's going on in their minds. They are excited. They're like, I can't believe it's actually in our life. We're gonna, can you believe this is really going to happen? That's what they thought was going to take place. That's what they were anticipating. That's what they were wondering. And the question was how? The question was how? Would it be a revolt? Would it be a rebellion? Would it be a revolution? Would it be riots? Who knows? But the question was, how is this all going to take place? And Jesus, as they are thinking, as they are likely thinking, how is this going to happen? He takes them down a path that they did not expect at all. Because they thought a rebellion is going to lead to Him being glorified. Or a riot. Or something else is going to lead to Him being glorified. But they did not expect for Him to say that suffering was going to lead to Him being glorified. They did not expect that suffering was going to lead for Him to be glorified. And so Jesus starts to talk about seeds. Now, for many of us who are, who are in Lancaster County, it's starting to be that time, right? Isn't it? 
I mean, how many of you are just enjoying the smell of manure on the fields? You know, let me see. Okay, well, we got some people. Hands, but they're bold, man. They got their hands way up in the air. You know, you guys are crazy, but uh, I can't smell, but I can see it. So I know it's out there, you know. I know it's out there. Um, and it's warning us that it's time, right? It's time. It's time for what? Just to put manure on the fields and turn them over? No, it's time for what? What's the next thing that's going to happen? They're going to do what? They're going to put a seed in the ground. That is the next thing that's going to happen. And Jesus talks about that. Look what he says in verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many, many seeds. What good does that seed do if it's sitting on the counter? Does it do any good? No, it doesn't do any good. What good does that seed do if it's sitting in the package in your closet? Does it do any good? It doesn't do any good. What has to happen with that seed? You have to happen with that seed. Go ahead and roll that, Lintha. You have to. What has to happen with that seed is you have to put that seed in the ground. And what happens when you put that seed in the ground? The bottom part of that seed begins to break open and a root goes down into the ground. And after that root goes down to the ground, after a couple days, what happens next? What happens next is a stem or a stalk starts to grow up from the top part of that seed. And it starts to push its way through the ground. And once it breaks through the ground and gets exposed to sunlight, it begins to transform the sunlight and begins to grow and grow in an exponential way. And very, very soon, what happens to the seed? The seed is what? The seed is gone. It's gone. The seed has fallen into the ground and died. And what Jesus says is He says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can't produce anything else. What was Jesus talking about? What was He talking about? He was clearly talking about what was going to happen to him. That his life was going to be given up. And when he would give up his life, then many, many, many would live. And as he starts to talk about this, I can't believe, I, I have to believe that the followers of Jesus, his disciples, those standing around were like, seeds in the ground dying? Yeah, we kind of know that's what happens to them, but what in the world does that have to do with anything? He goes on to say in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a bit confusing. Let me read that again. It says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. Say, so John, I don't really understand. Is that, is that saying that if I, I love my family and I love my job and I love my church and I love my life, that that that's a bad thing? Because I think if someone said, I hate my family and I hate my job and I hate my, my church and I hate my friends and I hate my life, we'd probably put them on suicide watch, wouldn't we? Yeah, we probably would. We probably would. So what is the point that Jesus is talking about? What does He mean? If I love my life, I'm going to lose it. But if I hate my life, then I have life eternal. Well, Jesus talks about this over and over again. And we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in a, a few weeks after Easter. But one of the things you hear us talk about all the time here at CCC is our purpose to is, in, is to invite people to love God fully. And when I think about loving God fully, what encompasses that? What does that look like? What does that mean? There's two things that come to my mind. 
The first is that it means that I'm willing to put Jesus at the center of everything in my life. My family, my job, my future, my kids, my home, my possessions, my dreams, my wishes. Jesus is at the center of all of those things. And the second thing is that I am willing to do God's will above everything else. The will of God matters to me more than anything else. It matters to me more than my comfort. It matters to me more than being in control. It matters to me more than what other people think of me. We talk about that with our men's group all the time, that the traps men fall into, those traps men fall into are, are grow out of three things, a need for control, a need for comfort, and a need for significance. And it's saying, I'm going to set those things aside because I want God's will for my life more than anything else. And I think what Jesus was saying in this passage is He's saying to us, He's saying to those that were listening, He's saying, is there anything else in your life that matters more than my will for you? He goes on in verse 26, He says, Whoever serves Me must follow Me, and where I am, My servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves Me. We talk about following Jesus here at CCC and we invite people to do that and we challenge you to do that. And we invite you to serve Jesus. And Jesus says, the way that you do that is you have to die. You have to die. You say, John, that's not a very inviting message. And I would absolutely agree with you. It's really not. It's really not. Because there's a lot of things in my life that I care about. There's a lot of things that are important. There's a lot of things that matter. And I'm not sure I'm willing to give up all of those things. But Jesus, instead of saying that the way to glory, the way to be glorified, is through a revolution, a riot, is, is to take charge and to control it and to run the Romans out of town, the way to that is to suffer and in His case, to give up His life and die. And as I think about my life, I wonder, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Ask yourself this question, can I die to make enough money to retire in comfort? Can I die to having a good job that life is easy? Can I die to my spouse wanting to work on our marriage? Can I die to finding a spouse? Can I die to making people happy in my life? Can I die to easing the pain and minimizing the struggle that my kids and people in my world go through? Can I die to controlling my world? Can I die to retiring and life being easy? Can I die to finding a great job and just making a ton of money. So John, are you saying that those are all bad things? I'm not suggesting that those are. The question is, how much do you love them? And how much does your life center around that thing? And Jesus says, the only way to be glorified is for you to be willing to die to those things things.
know, as I think about some of the things that God has called me to die to, um, never been easy. Never been easy. I've had to die to trying to have relationships with people, even family members that I think want to have relationships with me, but they really don't. And I have to let them go. I have to die to trying to make people change. And people that want to talk to me and they tell me what's going on in their lives and it seems obvious to me what they should do. But I have to die to trying to make that happen. As I think about our church, I've had lots of dreams about what God might do in our church and through our church. And, and over time, over 20-some years of, of praying about that and thinking that was a good idea and that might be what God wanted. And then over time, it's not where He takes us and having to release that and let that go and say, God, I'm going to let that one go because that's not really what You seem to want in this situation. Please don't hear me at all suggesting that this is an easy process. It is an agonizing, gut-wrenching process. You know what's encouraging to me? What's encouraging to me is Jesus admitted it was. Look in the next verse. He says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says, My soul is troubled. Most mornings in our house downstairs, you hear this. You may know what this is. Shaker cup. And my son's always mixing pre-workout you know, mixes and post-workout mixes. Or I'm mixing something. Somebody's mixing something and shaking something up all the time. And, and that word trouble there is this on the inside. That's what it is. That's what it is. He was just torn up on the inside because of what he knew was coming. And what does he say? He said, Father, save me from this hour. I mean, what father if their child cries out to them and said, Can you save me, Dad? Doesn't move everything they can. To make that happen. But it wasn't part of God's plan, and Jesus knew that. He knew what was coming. He knew what was on the horizon for him. He knew that he was going to be um, betrayed by Judas. He knew that he was going to be abandoned by his disciples. He knew that he was going to be denied by Peter. He knew that he was going to be falsely accused numerous and numerous times. He knew that the religious leaders were going to try, were going to choose him over another criminal. He knew that he was going to be beaten within an inch of his life. He knew that he was going to carry a cross up that hill. He knew that. He's going to have nails pounded in his hands and feet. He knew he was going to hang on that cross and be abandoned and have his back turned by his father. No wonder he said, God, save me. It's too hard. Can't do this. And then he says, no, 
is for this very reason that I'm here. For this very reason that I'm here. Jesus knew that God had this plan. And it wasn't the plan that the Jewish people had for Him to become the deliverer. You know, the Jews knew that. They knew what a deliverer was like, didn't they? They knew what it was like to be slaves in Egypt and God sent Moses the what? The deliverer. And what did Moses do? He delivered them out of Egypt. And that's what they expected. Another deliverer was going to come. And and the psalmist would say, your kingdom will reign forever. And he was going to set up shop and take over the world and it was never going to end. That's what they were expecting. But that wasn't the plan that God had for them. That wasn't the plan that God had for Jesus. But He knew that God had prepared Him for this moment, for this hour, right now. And when God calls you to die to something in your life, when God says this is something that you are holding on to and I need to take your hands off of it and I need you to release it, God is doing that for a reason and God is doing that for a purpose and He's preparing you for something that He has for you. And the only way you can enter into His plan for your life is to say, I'm willing to die to that, God. As much as my heart is breaking right now, as much as I long for it, more than what seems like life itself, I have to let it go. I have to let it go. says, for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Jesus knew this was more about His comfort. Jesus knew this wasn't about just avoiding the pain. Jesus knew this was about His Father getting the glory. And at that moment it says, in John's story, it says that there was thunder and a voice came from heaven that says, I have glorified it, referring to the Father's name, and I will glorify it again. And the crowds were like, what was that? What was that? What was that noise? What was it? And Jesus said, that was for you. In verse 30, because now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. See, what we're going to celebrate in just a couple weeks is the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the death and resurrection of Jesus was a battle that was waged between God and between Satan. Because when sin was allowed into this world, what was the consequence that every man, woman, and child will face in this earth because of sin? One thing, death. One consequence, death because of sin and because of evil and what the cross did is when jesus hung on that cross he defeated evil he defeated sin and when he rose from the dead he defeated death and that's what we're going to celebrate and jesus know that the only way to get to this plan the only way to accomplish the will of the father the only way to get there was not through rebellion not through a riot not through overthrowing the roman government the only way to get there was for him to be willing to die
But in His death, there would be life. There would be victory over sin. The, the, the grave would be defeated. And there would be life. And He closes this by saying at the end of this section, He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. Jesus is starting to give His followers a glimpse beyond their little community called the Jewish people, the people of Israel. He was giving them a little glimpse that God was going to do something bigger. God was going to move outside of this little community at the day of Pentecost. And then as thousands of people came to Christ and eventually they were spread out, it was going to spread all over the known world. And John writes that one day, one day, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will turn to Jesus. You know, as I think about what God's done in the life of our church over 24 years, it's been a pretty remarkable journey. I never imagined when we started that we would end up have being in this little building down in Five Pointville. But God steered us that direction. And then when that building got full and we were starting to see people come to Christ, I didn't know what God was going to do. I had no idea. And God steered our path this Mennonite school that we spent 18 and a half years in. And then we thought we had a plan. We were going to move across the street. We bought a farm. We paid the farm off. We, we cleaned up the land. We had a plan. We thought that's where God was going to take us. And God said, no, by God, I'm going to move you up here. The community of Reinholds. And I've, I've, as I've watched God steer us, as I've watched God guide us, as I've watched this plan for CCC unfold over the years, I'm just continually amazed at what God is up to. I think I'm far less these days trying to plan what God should do and I'm much more willing to wait and watch what God is doing. And for those of you that know me, that's a hard shift for me to let go of because I love to plan. But as I've watched God navigate this process, I've watched Him do something that I could never have mapped it out if I, I could never have mapped that out. But as I think about each step along the way and various things that God did in the life of our church, there were things that had to happen in me. There were things that had to happen in us as a church. There was change. There was letting go of things. There was dying to some things. We talked about recently in a gathering of our members that we have to let go of knowing everybody's name who attends our church. Because we just can't keep track of everybody that God's bringing here. But we've made a decision. We've said, we're not going to stop here. We're not going to say, it's important that we know everybody's name. And then if we're going to do that, then nobody else can come in. We said, no, that's not what God has for us. And so God's put us here. And as God moved us here, we wondered what would happen. And the month or two before we moved into this location, I, I found myself kind of wrestling with God a little bit because I was like, 
God, I, I finally got to the place where I'm, I'm okay with where we are and I'm okay with, with who we are as a church and the number of people here and, and I think I'm okay with that. And God says, well, I got other things for you. It's like, God, I'm not really ready for this. It took me a long time to get here because I kept wanting that and that and now God said, no, I want you to be content here and now I'm content here and he's like, now I have something else for you. And so I stand here with you today, having watched what we've experienced here in our church the last eight months. I mean, our church grew 20% the end of last year and 20 more percent since the beginning of this year. And we're trying to figure out where to park all of your cars. If anybody can build a, um, a, a free floating garage, please let us know that can hover over top of our existing parking area. but I just have this sense and our leadership has this sense that, that God has more for us to do here in this community and maybe beyond. But as I think about that, and there's a part of me that gets excited, there's a part of me that is anticipating that and looking forward, but there's a part of me that knows the reality that something in me will likely have to die. And I'm not sure I want more of this. And something in you, no matter where you are on your journey, if God wants you to take a next step forward in what following Him looks like, it's probably going to mean some of this. Say, John, I'm not up for that. I'm not up for that. Well, for some reason, that's what God's called us to be about. And maybe you aren't right now, but maybe in time you will be. Not that any of us look forward to it. None of us do. But we're willing to walk down that road. We're willing to take the step that God has for us. And you might be here listening to this and you might say, I don't really understand this. That seems crazy. Why don't you just take the easy route and avoid all that? It's possible. We live in America. We can avoid pain and heartache and struggle and suffering, can't we? We can to some degree. Why would we choose that route? Why would I choose this path? Why would we go that direction? In my life, in the years that I've had, um, I haven't found anything better. And I'm choosing to rest, and I'm choosing to trust that there is a God in heaven who loves me so much, He was willing to sacrifice His one and His only Son for my deliverance and for my eternity, and for my destiny. And if He was willing to give up that for me, I'm willing to follow the direction that He has for my life, wherever that takes me. And if you're not sure you want to go down that road, I get it. I get it. 
But I can tell you that here at CCC, what God is calling us to is a group of people that are trying to figure out how do I love God more than anything else in my life? And how do I do the will of God regardless of where that takes me? Because I want God to be glorified. I want Him to be honored and celebrated more than anything else in my life. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? As we close in prayer this morning, maybe for you there's something God's calling you into and something you've been holding on to that's making your life easy, making your life comfortable, and you say, God, I'm not willing to let this one go. And His Spirit is tugging at your heart saying, it's time. It's time for you to let that one go. Maybe you're saying, but God, you you know how hard my life has been. It's just been a living hell. I barely made it here this morning and you're asking me to die to more of myself. There isn't anything left. I hope this morning you know that you have a loving Father who has unbelievable plans for your heart today. And as we think about what the future is that God might have for us to share this amazing message and hope about Jesus with this community. It's not going to be through programs. It's not going to be through great events. It's going to be through men and women and students who say loving God and doing the will of my Father is the most important thing in my life no matter where it takes me. Because just like that seed, I'm willing to die to myself so that God will multiply many things through me. God, you know the heart of each person here this morning. You know those that are hearing this this morning thinking, what crazy person would choose that way of life? You know the heart of those that are wrestling deeply with You, God, over things that they're struggling to let go of and die to themselves. God, You know the plans that You have for us as a church, as a faith community to make a difference where we live. God, we look forward to celebrating over these next two weeks and remembering Your entrance, Lord Jesus, into the city of Jerusalem and all the things that happen 
the agony of your death and the glory of your resurrection. Father, prepare us for that by being willing to die to ourselves. In your name, amen. As the band comes forward to lead us in this last song, um, one of the things that I'm thinking about in preparation for Easter is, so why did Jesus have to die? And what's the significance of His resurrection? And as we sing this song, I hope that it will become clear to you um, as to why those things happen when we give our lives to Him. Let's all stand and sing this together. Christ is risen.